Hello and welcome to episode 60 of the Large Format Photography Podcast. My name's Andrew Bartram and I'm joined by Eric Matthey and Frank Thorpe. Hello, Eric. Hey, Andrew. Well done. You nailed the name. <laughs> Hello, Frank. Hello, Frank. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, it's really great to have you on the show. Thank you for being with us. See, yeah. that's my best Simon Forster uh, impersonation. Yeah, yeah. Well done. Well but, done. But before I hand over to Eric to um, uh, start the interview with you, he can ask you some questions. Just need to thank our previous guests, guests who were Monica and Adam of the Nomadic Photo Arc. So, Frank, they're... Um, two lovely people who are traveling around the States with a trailer, with a dark room, doing large format portraits of people they meet in a nutshell. Yeah. I think I might follow Monica on Instagram. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's a, I would love to be able to. Do <laughs> yeah. Right. That's the dream right there. Well, darker that would be amazing but, yeah but it's yeah. also like the hustle because when we talk to them you know they essentially have to like hustle from grant to grant or like you know um residency to residency you know to sort of like keep it going so it's interesting how much of a it's a dream but it's also like the hustle capital t capital h mm. you know i have a, i have an enormous amount of respect for for people I, and i have a lot of friends that i work with that that go from grant to grant or that are working on a freelance basis. And that it's a, you're right. That that's the best way to describe it. It's a hustle. And, um, and it's a, it's a tough lifestyle to make it sustainable for something like that. Some, you know, for your passion of photography. And, uh, and so it's always really impressive to see people make it work. Yeah. I mean, even in photojournalism, right. And so actually that's an interesting question. So you started, um, when I started, started following you, I was like, oh, dude, you know, uh, a, a guy shooting speed graphic on on Capitol Hill. By the way, folks, for those of you who don't know, Frank, um, I want to say Frank Thorpe, but Frank uh, is what I thought was a full-time photojournalist on Capitol Hill, um, shooting oftentimes a, a, a speed graphic four by five of congressional hearings and in the halls and that sort of thing. Um, but in reality, you've come from this from NBC as like a producer and a reporter. So photography wasn't necessarily your first foray into media and journalism right so like what is that what what is your actual what is your actual background frank um and uh how did that sort of like meander its way into becoming this guy people are like oh you're the large format photographer on capitol hill like yeah. that's a it's a little different yeah it, it was a, it was definitely a journey i've covered the hill for over 10 years so um i've covered congress for in the united states for over 10 years and um, I've always been passionate about photography and it's been something that, um, I've done even before, um, when I was, I, I lived in Haiti for a year and a half before I was on Capitol Hill. Um, and I would spend most of my time with photographers and, um, and travel around with them and basically, you know, ask them all the annoying questions of, you know, how can I make these photos better and, and be like, just shoot more pictures. Um, but, um, when it came to Capitol Hill, I mean, I, I would just shoot stuff, you know, just as a, just because I liked to do it as a part of my job as a producer and reporter. So, um, and I'm always in places where, um, I mean, there's a good, I'm usually in good places to take pictures because right. you know, my job is to be in the right place at the right time and, and cover events 
um, when people are talking, you know, when it's newsworthy or um, or if it's a big hearing or if it's a big, you know, I cover the 2016 campaign. Um, and so I've always just had a camera with me. And so I've always just kind of taken pictures. Um, and I've also really befriended a lot of the photographers around me who have been really amazingly supportive of this whole thing. So, um, so I mean, as but I would say maybe five years ago, um, I was really trying to figure out a way to like differentiate my work um, and was looking for a way to kind of slow down. I was getting a little bored with the the digital workflow and and feeling like it was really just kind of the same thing over and over again. Um, and so, I, you know, I had talked to a colleague of mine who I was like, yeah, I'm thinking about trying to shoot film. And he's like, oh, I have all these film cameras at my house. Like you should come by and, and try one. And he's, I mean, let me borrow a hostile blog, which I still shoot with. Um, and I was shooting with a Hasselblad and another photographer for Getty, who has since passed away. Um, he was like, Hey, I'm so, I see you're shooting with film. Um, I have all these like large format cameras that I don't use anymore. Um, would you want to check them out? Maybe buy them. And so, nice. um, he actually brought in it's this, uh, I mean, this is a podcast, but you can see it in the background. Here, we can, uh, we can, the, yeah, but here, no one else can. Yeah. yeah, it's okay. Um, uh, speed graphic, and I mean, it's you know the leather is taken off of it. It's you know it's just wooden, and it's just beautiful. And I so I started to, I mean, he was like, "Would you be interested in buying?" So I was like, "Yes, absolutely." And um, I mean, I it was just like a total whim. He gave me a, an amazing deal, and the first time I ever actually shot with it was the impeachment um, inquiry hearings on Capitol Hill for the first impeachment of uh, President Donald Trump. So it was it was kind of like one of those things that I was just like kind of rolling the dice. Um, but the, the reality is, is that, at, you know, because my job is one in which photography is actually not a part of my job description. OK, I'm able to kind of experiment and do different things like shoot large format. If I was if, you know, photojournalism or if, if I was a photojournalist walking around needing to file every hour or every day, um, I wouldn't have the luxury to be able to do this kind of stuff. So, no. um, right. which has been really great. And, and, and like, you know, everybody's been like the photographers and, and NBC has been really, um, supportive of it. And they've been using the, the pictures in, you know, kind of like feature stuff. It's not right. necessarily day-to-day -day coverage, but it's more featurey things. And, um, so yeah, I mean, it, it's been really cool. It's been an adventure. So when when you first got your speed graphic, um, what was the, you know, what was going through your mind? Do you think, well, I'm going to use this in, you know, for making people's portraits or for capturing scenes? And you know, what were the what were the obvious technical challenges and um, things that you had to overcome? I mean, the first thing that I had to overcome was just the simple embarrassment of being, you know, carrying around this enormous camera that everyone. Was <laughs> you're totally insane um, yeah. we're familiar with this <laughs> and so um and to be honest it is you know i mean you guys know you know shooting large format is hard to do um shooting it handheld is like not typically done at all um speed graphics are are built for that because they're old press cameras you know i mean and and so i mean like relatively right like right right ouija baby <laughs> Right, right, exactly. Yeah. But I mean, and with the big um, flash and everything, but I, you know, I'm not shooting with a flash. Uh, <laughs> I have those bulbs, but I'm, I, I think I'm, you know, would probably get arrested for trying to 
bring something as explosive as one of those light bulbs in the Capitol. Um, the, uh, I mean, the, the obvious technical issues are that shooting handheld, uh, particularly early on with this camera, I, I was not looking at the ground glass at all. So um, the, the viewfinder on that one is actually very, very um, accurate um, with like paired with the lens. Mm-hmm. So, it, I mean, the first time I ever shot it, it was like a real rolling the dice. It was like a, all right, well, I'm going to shoot these. These pictures just might not turn out and I'll just decide to do something different and shoot with the Hasselblad or something like that. Um, it turned out it was like spot on. So I was able to, to knock or to get the, the focus immediately. And I mean, this, this lens is like a two seven, I think it is like, um, so it's super fast. Um, and so in, in the lower, like light situations in those hearing rooms or in the hallways, I'm able to kind of try to do stuff. I still push the film, but, um, also, I mean, like, you know, those technical issues and, and the fact that, you know, there might be some movement or there might be some imperfections is something that I kind of embraced. Um, mm-hmm. I think that again, like the digital workflow, I mean, you know, some of these new digital cameras, it's like cheating. It's like yeah. you know, everything is going to be sharp exactly how you want it to be. And, um, and so, I mean, I'm not saying it doesn't take skill to take perfect pictures because it definitely does. Some, I mean, the photographers on, on the Hill are amazingly talented people. Um, but I just found this to be actually like the technical issues to be like a challenge that I saw that I wanted to try, you know what I mean? Like right. I wanted to prove to myself. I mean, my whole thing is like people used to shoot these cameras in the past to cover events like this in the past. And so if they can do it, it still can be done, you know, right. it's, not impossible to do um but it, it was almost like I, I was like challenging myself to see if it was even possible to do and it was so it was great it was very cool yeah well and f 7 in there like you've got a razor thin depth of field like you kind of have to nail something like you have to nail something like your your, your focus has got to be stepped on are you shooting like like ilford or, or team or trix 400 are you just pushing to 1600 in there or 3200 or shooting like they only make they didn't make Delta 1600 and four by five, do they? It's 400 ASA max yeah. to my recollection. So you're just like mm-hmm. cramming it up to 16 or 3,200 and embrace the grain as, yeah. as one of our fellow podcasters yeah. would call their show. Yeah. Um, HP five pushed to 1600. Okay. It's not been, I mean, to be honest, you know, like the, the larger the negative, the less grain is an issue. And right. so, um, I mean, I, I do, embrace the idea of like a grainy negative which is again i mean gives like i i don't actually really want the stuff that i'm shooting with on film to kind of look like it would like it's something that i could shoot digitally you know what i mean like i wanted to have a different feel it has like a different vibe a different kind of like soul to it um when you shoot it with you know it shooting it large format or shooting it even like 35 i mean I, i've been like recently, and I know this is like the antithesis of the show, like shooting. Oh, no. I think those are brilliant. Those are like Tri-X point and shoots, right? Yeah. So I didn't even I, know they made Tri-X point and shoots. Neither did I. And I, and so, and I found them, you know, a couple months ago and I was like, that's really cool. And I mean, cause it's, and so I, it's like basically like a, like a toy camera, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's like it's terrible. And you have to kind of like be at a certain 
distance, but like, I mean, it, the the idea that you can kind of use it with a flash. Anyway, that's where that's that's an aside. But oh no, I'll I'll talk about that. <laughs> what um what stoked your love of film then? Was it something that's you've always been interested in, or your father, or mother, or brother? <laughs> um, my I mean, I grew up my. I mean, my aunt was like really artistic. I kind of grew up like artistic. You know, I, I liked arts when I was younger. Um, I didn't really do photography as a kid. My parents weren't really photographers. I just really liked looking at photography. Um, I really liked looking at, you know, those, I keep on thinking of like the year in review pictures and just thinking yep. photography spoke to me in a way that was, you know, it invoked a, an emotion um for me and it was something that drew me in and in terms of like what started with me in film it was like i said it was just the idea of trying to try something different and the idea mm. of actually doing the process from start to finish was actually really appealing to me right and we have learning how to develop and print i never had done a dark room class in high school so the first time that I had started, you know, went to a dark room. I did it in a community art center in Alexandria, Virginia. And I mean, I went to the dark room and, you know, you know, you put the paper in, in, in the chemistry and I was like, wait, this is how it works <laughs> up on the, I mean, like I, I, it was like kind of embarrassing how naive I was to the whole process. And, um, but I mean, as soon as I got into it, it was, I mean, as a, I'm sure a lot of people that you've spoken to, um got totally addicted to it it's funny because you know like it's it feels like all new and different too for me i mean right going down rabbit holes and rabbit holes and rabbit holes on this stuff um but again like a lot of the people that i encounter on on capitol hill or just in dc generally who are photojournalists this is old news to them you know i mean this is like a what they're like why would you go a step back and and do this we've already done this and i mean the reason why we don't do this is because this is a pain in the ass. <laughs> They're not wrong. <laughs> that's actually kind of what I, I, I kind of love about it. And I mean, it's, it's opened up other opportunities for situations where, I mean, particularly, you know, talking about being embarrassed about carrying that big speed graphic around. It's also opened up opportunities where, you know, senators have come up and be like, that's a really, that's a really cool camera. I, you should come and take my picture. And and so yeah, it's kind right. of like a cool situation and has opened up different avenues for creative opportunities. Do, yeah. do you find that it helps um, with the rapport as well? I mean, and the, and the fact that you're also not a, you're not there as a press photographer. There's, you know, you, you're there with another role, but that's not your main role. The fact that you've got this big camera and your role and your sort of day job, does it help break the ice a bit with these guys? I think it does. I mean, I think that sometimes, you know, particularly lawmakers don't really know what to make of me when I do that. I mean, because yeah. for instance, and just to give you like some context, a lot of the stuff, particularly like when it comes to like this, you know, the disposable camera stuff or some of the more close up stuff, um, that stuff happens in in scrums in the hallways, like during votes for, you know, Senate votes, you're just standing around and the way that a lot of reporting is done is that we'll stand around with senators and groups um, in just circles and just ask them questions. And when you throw up a camera and just take a picture, it kind of changes the dynamic a little bit because they, you know, having a conversation with you um, face to face is, is um, 
it, it's just different when all of a sudden you're not only asking questions and having a conversation, but you're also like right. shoving a camera in somebody's face. Um, but at the same time, I think one of the reasons why I'm able to do what I do is, is because this place in particular, Capitol Hill in particular, everybody on Capitol Hill is uniquely accepting of the idea of having a camera shoved in their face. It's not really that weird. And so I think that, you know, a lot of you know, it, any weirdness that you would think of in normal times when you're walking around shoving a camera in somebody's face doesn't really exist on Capitol because they're just so used to doing it. Um, so I, I do think that, you know, it's probably less like the rapport that's being increased by taking pictures in the moment, but it's more that if they stumble across my work, they actually have a respect for what it, it is. And do you find that you're being more and more recognizes, oh, there's, there's, a, I know you. you know? Yeah. That- it's and particularly in the last year, year and a half with the success of that photo of a, the photo that I did after January 6th, mm-hmm. talk about like, um, it's become a thing where people actually recognize me for my photography, which has been a little bit of an adjustment because I've been been the one that's been able to kind of like float in the background and and just take pictures um, kind of just on, you know, just it's it's for myself, although I share it. But I mean, it's it's um, it's been kind of like a little bit of a passion project for myself. But now it, it is a situation where people will come up and be like, hey, I absolutely love your photography. It's so great. So which is very cool. So if you had the opportunity, would you transition from, from producer type work to photography full-time or half-time even? Like if, if somebody was like, if NBC was like, Hey, let's make this switch or somebody else, like say an agency came up like French per se, or, you know, the grand, the, the granddaddy, them all Magnum, whatever. And they were like, Hey, we would like you to, to make a switch. Would you? Um, I thought about that a lot and I've had conversations with photojournalists about it. I think I, I worry for myself because this has been such a personal thing that I, a personal passion thing that mm-hmm. I did, um, that I, I do get a little concerned that if it were to become, um, like a full-time thing, if I would lose the passion for it and which is, you know, something that, um, I think a lot of people worry about, right. uh, making that transition, um, it would be a really amazing opportunity. I think the thing I think is, I think that there's a, a middle ground, which I'm trying to strike in which like, you know, I'm having conversations with our photo department about the idea of like kind of doing more, you know, featurey photo assignments and things right. like that. The thing, and, and that's a viable option. And I think that this photo essay, which was, was really well received and got a couple of awards, which was like, it's kind of like a proof and concept of like, Hey, like this can be a viable option. At the same time, it was very stylized. It's very different. Right. It's not really what you expect in terms of photojournalism. Mm-hmm. Won't work all the time, you know. And so, um, if I were to make that shift, I would have to accept that I would have to do some of the stuff that is a little bit more generic in terms of coverage, which isn't a bad thing. Um, but it's. Oh, it seems seems to me you've got the perfect situation. You know, you've got access to one of the most interesting places in the world access to people you know just to go wander up to them people who are used to being photographed so it makes that process easier um, you can do your day job and pursue your passion and the and mingle the two together so I, i'd say stick with it and see where it uh, 
where it leads you. I've got one question for Simon would no doubt ask, and it has to be about the lens on your camera. So you mentioned the one on that speed graphic behind you. Is that the one you're currently using, or what? What what lens do you favour most for uh, either portraits or um, you know more environmental shots with the four by five? So I got an Aero Ektar. Um, mm. As one does. <laughs> I thought I noticed some swirly goings on in some pictures. Yeah. Everybody eventually does. Um, yeah, so I, I've been shooting that, like the entire photo essay um, was shot with the Aero Ektar. Mm-hmm. And then I've, I've gotten to know uh, Jeffrey Berliner at the Penumbra Foundation. Mm-hmm. And he um, he sold me a Pets full lens for it that... Um, that I can put on my, it's like a brass lens. Basically, yeah. it, it's similar, but a smaller version. Um, and that it kind of gives like this swirly, you know, background situation. Um, and which is totally different than obviously what you're used to seeing um, on Capitol Hill. And, and when you can make it work, it's very cool. But also, I can't use that all the time because I think that it's, it's almost like, I mean, you, shooting lar- black and white large format is, is so stylistic already. Mm-hmm that level of weirdness is um, something that I can't like include all the time. Hey now. <laughs> but, um, but it's cool when I do, I mean, like I used it for um, the confirmation hearing for the Kentucky Brown Jackson um, Supreme court nomination. And the, the stuff that I, that I shot was very cool in that it kind of like, it, it gave it a little bit more of like a feel, um, which is what I was going for. Cause I think that the backgrounds in those can be a little static and it's nice to kind of like give it a little bit more like, there's there was drama in the room right so kind of like you you know using the lens to kind of show the drama in a way um but the aerector is i mean it, it's basically kind of the perfect lens for this kind of stuff um considering it's just so fast um and and it allows so i know they were meant for aerial reconnaissance photography and they became they've become sort of the cool kids lens which you are i mean you know you're the you're the you're the cool kid you are the cool kid on the kid. show you're, cert- yep, yep. you're certainly younger than both of us by the looks of it <laughs> and, i mean it's not it, it was, <laughs> was the first obviously to do it and and the, and the guy that made it you know the most popular is david burnett who mm. i got to know yeah. when i started shooting large format during that impeachment inquiry um the <laughs> trial hearings and um was it one of those things where he looked over and he's like and you looked over, you're like, yeah, honestly, we both uh, had those ginormous, like, 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 I can't remember if he's, if he's shooting a speed graphic or if he's shooting one of the RB, like SLRs. Right. Yeah. That's you know? Mean. Yeah. And he's like, it'll be like, be like two guys standing at the urinals. Comparing <laughs> <Exactly>. notes. <laughs> no. wait, 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 hold on. British enunciation mockery. It must be done at least once per show. What did you just say? Standing at the what? Urinals. Yeah, it, was like, it, was, it, was, it was very like, oh, uh, Okay, like I thought, I mean, and, and it wasn't like I thought I was going to be the only person doing it, but it actually made me feel a little bit better about myself because I was like, oh, okay, like I'm not the, the only person, you know, carrying one of these crazy, ridiculous cameras. I didn't have an error actor then, but he was shooting with it at that at those hearings. And he did some really, really great work. Oh. He was and, and it was very cool because like again, I, I I've been so lucky to encounter these people along the way who have been so supportive because you know, I mean, there is a competitive nature amongst photojournalists, particularly yeah. going back to the whole idea of, you know, when it, if you're not staffed and like you're, you know, you're doing freelance work and you're really trying to like stand out and stuff like that, it, 
it can be a pretty brutal business. Everybody that I've, most of the people that I've encountered have been super awesome and supportive. And, and David has been one of those people who has been like, you know, I mean, he is an inspiration just generally because his work, I mean, his career spans, I mean, he was in Vietnam yep. and, and has just covered so many things along the way. And he's really, I mean, been a pioneer in proving that large format photography can be incorporated into coverage of sports and politics. Um, in a Disaster way, recovery, his New Orleans work yeah. after the hurricane was mind boggling because he actually started to use tilt shift on it and like, you know, doing very selective and, and making like these ruinous scenes look like there was a toy car or whatever. It just really made you stop and stare in a way that, and I'll use this term loosely because some people like expect me to do it on some of my trips where disaster porn or ruin porn, right? It's really easy to walk into a ruined, a ruined building and take a very like dramatic image um, in such a way as that it just almost sort of minimizes what it actually what it actually is, right? Which I might circle back, to, by the way, to because I've, I've read a bit and you were in Haiti, you know, after a natural disaster. And it feels to me like, and we might even be getting to this point with like, say, the, the war in Ukraine, right? Where all these images come after a while, we get saturated and we sort of get over it and we get used to it when we really as human beings shouldn't ever get over or used to these types of images like ever. Um, and his use of that lens made us stop and stare and be like, what, wait, what? And then that visual hook sort of brings you in to, to what you're actually looking at. It's like, Oh, well shit, this was, this was somebody's house. This was somebody's life. Right. Yeah. And I think, and I mean, there's, there's a lot to, to discuss on that point, but like it, Considering today, in today's age, where you're scrolling on your computer or you're scrolling through Instagram, and it's easy just to go, you know, to the next picture, to the next picture, to the next picture. Yep. Um, creating an image that will make somebody stop and think about what they're seeing and what they're looking at is hard to do. And and so, and he has proven the ability to do that. I mean, he covered John Kerry's presidential campaign. There's this shot. He got up on, you know, they, you know, they have those little like lists that they'll bring for like big events, and he um, took this shot of John Kerry at this event and used the tilt chip for that shot too. And it's just, I mean, he, it, but again, like this is the stuff that he was in the off times during these hearings was like walking me through and showing me and, and talking about stuff. And he's like, "This is great. Like, just keep at it." You know, I mean, and and that kind of encouragement was super helpful. But I mean. But the idea of, of using large format and not having it just be like a like a gimmick, you know what I mean? Right. And, and using it in a way to actually, um, I, you, you know, like to actually have a reason to actually sit there and look at an image. Um, I think it's been it's been really inspiring. And again, like he's he's been a huge inspiration as to the viability of this as not just me messing around with an old camera, just to mess around with an old camera, but also like showing it as a viable option for news gathering. Have you found that, um, like, so you shot some dig you shot digital primarily, uh, and then you went to, to film the Hasselblad, by the way, it must've been, cause that the shutter on a Hasselblad sounds like, you know, like, like a car crashing into a wall. Like you're in a meeting, like, Shakunk! sorry about that. You know? Yeah. Um, but, it, and then large format, have you found that if you, go back to digital that that's impacted your digital work has it slowed you down has it like, impacted how you see things or is it just like meh not at all no for sure i mean it's definitely 
the entire process has been made me a better photographer in terms just the idea of of like thinking ahead of time for my shots. Uh, I mean, that was the thing that was particularly when I was shooting the impeachment inquiry trial, you know, the day before I would think, okay, where am I going to stand to try to get this shot? Um, I, Cause you need to stand and basically block out your shot, set focus, you know, do your, you know, light meter, figure out what the exposure time is going to be way ahead of time. And, um, and that process itself has definitely um, made me a better photographer, not to mention, you know, because of the medium, you're, you're focusing so much more on light and where the light's coming from and how that light is going to, you know, not make a picture, just a flat image. Right. I mean, all of that kind of stuff um, has totally changed the way that I've, I mean, I don't know if it's changed, but it's made me a better photographer digitally. The thing is, is that like, I should still shoot digital all the time. I mean, like, and, and whether it's, you know, I, I shoot with a Fuji X100. I'm obsessed with that camera. It's They're awesome. That I use. Um, and I shoot with my iPhone all the time too, but like, I'm, I try not to be too stodgy about that. You know, I mean, it, there's, I, I like shooting large format, I like shooting film and, but um, I try not to get in my head about too much about, you know, oh, I should be shooting this with film. Oh, I should be shooting this with, you know, digital. It's, um, there's a time and a place for everything. And I think that, you know, I've pushed myself to try to make sure or to see if there are places where I can shoot film or large format in places that you wouldn't normally think about using mm-hmm. that. Um, but um, I try not to, you know, get too caught up in in what I'm going to be using at, at certain times. Right. How do you, um, how do you think your approach to, large format photography has changed since the day you first picked up the camera and walked into Capitol Hill to now, how, 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 how has it evolved um, for better or for worse? You know, you, the, the way you, the way you look for pictures, stories, ideas, that sort of thing. So, I mean, when I first started, it was, it was really just like a general coverage, you know, at a hearing mm-hmm. yeah. shooting scenes and things like that. Um, and, and since then, I've really started trying to incorporate portraiture. Um, And that has been something that I wasn't really actually practiced in at all. Um, It was something that, but it's something that I was interested in doing. Um, And this is the the camera and the medium lends itself to that uniquely. Um, It it gives portraits a very, I don't know, like intense feel, but just like a very, you know, it gives them a feel, you know, and that is, is notable. And, um, and so I've tried to shift in that direction with the large format. Um, also because, I mean, from a practical standpoint, you know, while the, the camera that I used, that I used early on shooting large format was, um, coupled with that that rangefinder, the Arrow Ektar is not coupled with the rangefinder, so I am using the ground glass. So okay. like to kind of step back and realize that like I might need to be on a tripod for some of that stuff. So I've kind of like evolved in a way in that way that I've just kind of had to slow down the process even more, um, which has restricted me from kind of doing that the handheld stuff that I was doing before. I should, to be honest, be pulling this one out a little bit more often, um, but. 
yeah, I think I think the shift in, in the in the evolution has gone more towards like the idea of, of using it for for portraiture, and and that's what I use for the, the photo essay. And how um, schooled were schooled? Yeah, how 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 schooled were you in the in the sort of aesthetics of portraiture? I mean, there's some there are some greats, aren't there? You know, who who just make portraiture their own. Did you did you find yourself studying? You know the way people put their hands in photographs, or the way they hold their bodies, and think how you could apply that to to these guys. Or would, would did they just automatically take up a pose because <laughs> they're so well, used to being photographed? I mean, it's so well, it, it is funny because um, so I, I did a ton of research. So when when I did this uh, January sixth photo essay, it was a like a it's a this whole the whole thing is just a bunch of portraits, right? It's it's a dozen people. Um, and when I pitched the idea, I mean, and I had not really ever had anybody sit for like a formal portrait for me for work purposes ever. I had had mm. like my family sit down for me um, yep. or, you know, friends of mine do it. Um, but it was never anything that I had actually done in a serious or professional manner. And so, yeah, I, I, bought a ton of books. Um, I did a bunch of research. I mean, you know, either you get books of like the greats or you just Google, you know, good black and white portraits, you know what right. I mean? And try to like get an idea of, of how they should be sitting, what, you know, how they could face the light, what they can do with their hands, um, trying to incorporate the background or the foreground, um, seeing, seeing, you know, what different poses you can do it's funny because like so one of the one of the books that i got was you know it was i mean obviously like you richard avedon is like I mean, the king avedon, so like he is like who he is um but one of the people that i shot for this this photo essay was um congressman jamie raskin and he was like like so you're a photographer and i was like uh, well you, you know like I, I shoot pictures like you know i you know i was doing it as part of my job and um He's like, great, you know, like I, one of the coolest things I, I have in my house is a, is a portrait that I've shot of Richard, um, by Richard Avedon. So he I was like, I was like, oh, okay. Um, no pressure here. Exactly. I was just about to say that. Okay. Yeah. Um, and it's actually a very cool, it, it's in um, the uh, Avedon book Power, which is just a bunch of portraits <laughs> of um, politicians and um, lawmakers and um, government people, you know, Depending on people and stuff like that um but i mean yeah so i i my the research that i did was basically looking at what had been done um and and also looking at some of like what my colleagues had done as well you know i mean again david burnett he's done some really great portraits and incorporated the erect r in large format and in some of the coverage that like you'd actually see in on articles on online and in, in, in newspapers so um yeah i mean the thing is is that i also just i mean i did all that research and then i would stay up basically all night i could barely sleep the night before because i mean you know when for some of these folks i mean like shooting portraits of you know speaker pelosi or you know mitt romney or some of these guys um i mean it's like no pressure right i mean like right. you know it's one of those things that you know if, if the negatives don't work out or you mess up because i was developing all my own stuff and um, 
you know, if it doesn't work out, it, it's all on you. So it was a, it was a nerve wracking situation. So, so let's take a step back because me asking you that question about how your photography is evolved we've uh, we've we've lurched into your project after the riot you know the series of images that you took of was it just the 12 people i couldn't it was 12 people but it was every every person who participated did a number of different we sat yeah so this was this was a hundred days after the january the sixth event the storming of the of the capital so tell us perhaps a little bit about how this project formulated in your mind and uh, how it was received and uh, yeah yeah so, so yeah so t- tell us a little bit about that if you wouldn't mind yeah so um after january the 6th um i was in the capital for january the 6th and a lot of the people that were there in the building um were doing a lot of processing of mm. that day because I think that it was a really hard thing for people to process mentally. Were you, were you actually there on the day when, yeah. when they were trying to break in? Were you? Wow. Okay. Well, um, and so, it, and it, it was something that we had noticed. I mean, the conversations that I had with either it was, you know, congressional aides, the staff for the, for the members of Congress, or even, you know, the senators or the lawmakers, um, you could tell that they were really processing it. Um, from like a trauma standpoint, because it was a it was a traumatic experience for a lot of people, um, and so we were trying to figure out a way to tell that story in a visually differentiating way. Um, and we had, you know, I talked to some of the editors at our um, on our website, and they're like, "Well, what if you did some kind of like photo essay?" And I was like, "Well, how about this? Like, how about I was thinking about trying to do portraits of folks." Um, who were, you know, kind of processing this. And they're like, great, like, why don't you go ahead and do that and um, send us some stuff and, and, you know, let us know what you get. It turned out to be the people who ended up wanting to participate were people that I wasn't actually anticipating them to say yes. So I got really lucky in that, you know, I reached out to, you know, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi's office and they're like, great, yeah, let's do it. Um, And, you know, Mitt Romney, who had been turned around by a Capitol police officer who was about to run right into the, you know, into the rioters. Um, you know, he, he agreed to do it too. He was actually one of those senators who had seen me with the camera in the hallways and be like, Hey, that's a cool camera. Um, but, um, and so it turned out to be this situation where, I mean, like we got Capitol police officers who were not talking to the press um, because, you know, either, because personally they didn't want to talk about it or, you know, you know, police are typically averse to talking to um, reporters um, who agreed to do, to sit down. So I guess actually it's, it was more than 12 people if you, cause there was three police officers. So yeah. Um, yeah. I was like, I guess 14 people um, and then congressional aides and, and trying to in, incorporate everybody. There was also a cafeteria worker who we spoke to who, who encountered, you know, or who was, locked himself in his closet room down in the basement and so we did all these portraits and i did them in three different settings and we again i did them with the the speed graphic with the arrow ektar um we did like environmental portraits and then like a straight you know looking into camera with a backdrop and they were all done with um natural light um all done inside the capitol um all done you know, like usually like one one day at a time over a couple months. Right. And 
afterwards, after the session, after you know they sat for the portrait session, I would ask them the same questions about how they are processing the trauma of that day um, and whether or not they felt like the capital was going to be the same and you know and what they hoped people remembered from that day. Um, and it turned out to be a really it, it was one of those situations where like your the vision um, kind of turns into exactly what you were envisioning you know or, you know like mm -hmm. the it turns out into exactly what you're envisioning um, and the the folks at our website did an amazing job building it out you know um, yeah our um, video department put together a video where they incorporated the audio from the interviews because all the interviews that I had done were just you know like recording audio and um, it just turned out really well and I mean it was again shooting that stuff was scary um, because of the weight of the of the story, and I think that that you know having these folks trust you with their story um, and and about like a vulnerable aspect to the story, right? Because it's like there's the there's the the actual events of what happened on January 6th, it's like the idea of like how hard it is to process that, you know, the mental health aspect is still, you know, a little taboo for a lot of folks. And right. the idea of opening up on that kind of stuff and, and accepting or, you know, saying publicly that it is a trauma that's being processed is a hard thing to do. And so, which made, you know, you want to get the portraits right, but you also, you know, there's so many aspects or so many places in the film process where it can mess up and it all came together really well. So it was great. And, and so it was received super well. I mean, and, and like I said, I, the white house uh, news photographers association just, I just got an award for that. Um, it's going to, a couple of the portraits will be included in the American photography book for this year. Um, it's been very, very cool the way that it's been received. And I have to say the, the ones I like about these the most, and I, I saw them when they came out and I was like, oh yes, I was hoping somebody would do something like this, right? Um, that I really like the most um, are for the most part, the, the non-politicians, right? The folks you don't see every day. And in particular, the image, although like the, your, your, your image of uh, Representative Jason Crow amidst all the stanchions and stuff, I think is just a brilliant, great uh framing lights and everything um but like the image of the of the guy you're talking about the cafeteria worker um where he's just looking a little bit off camera and he's looking pensive and it matches the quote perfectly you know like i keep an eye out i keep an eye out all the time yeah. um you know because these are these are the people you don't really think about right that even exists there's a whole infrastructure around government around congress of people you don't really see or get acknowledged much. Um, and those shots to me really resonate more than, because well, like you said, politicians are, are used to being approached and photographed, right? We were, um, we, me and Simon and Eric were messaging each other. It was like, I can't even begin to imagine being inside that place when it was being stormed. Uh, and I think the people around the world just watched, were glued to their TV sets with their jaws just, hanging down you know i mean i i wasn't i know eric and yeah and simon wasn't and, and you know we and for people to be in there knowing that you know the capital police aren't able to stop this you know this this break in and and or in some cases may theoretically have abetted it you know well, like, I, like but you, not to but that's like mind-blowing in itself right and i like, can and i can understand those 
guys inside being really traumatized even now because how often do we hear well someone walked into a school and killed you know half a dozen kids and teachers and things you just don't know do you you don't know what these guys these guys could have been armed you know they could have been hell-bent on doing much more than actually did eventually i mean people died didn't they i know that but Mm. you know so it's it's no wonder that trauma trauma is deep set in in these people and i listened to the interview with uh with a speaker nancy pelosi and she says something like well you know that we just don't this isn't part of the day job you know you don't come here for this and she was really feeling it for some of the young you know the young the youngsters in the house and stuff and and it, it came it was really powerful the video that came with it was really powerful and it just leads me on really to what about your mental health and how are you, how are you yeah. coping with it? And have you, have you found the, I, I realize I'm asking loads of questions here. And <laughs> has the, um, has the photographic process this after the riot thing, was, was that kind of cathartic for you? Does that help you as well? hundred percent. And I mean, it was, it was a, it was a traumatic experience when it happened. Um, and I think that, you know, to, to your whole point about for the folks that were in the building, again, it, you know, it was important to incorporate somebody like a cafeteria worker mm. and, and, you know, congressional aides and things like that, because, I mean, you have to think about it from the perspective of, and using a school is actually a good example. You know, I mean, nowadays, I think, sadly, schools are kind of prepared for the worst in those kind of situations but yep. for i mean i would say 99.9% of the people in the capital i mean no one ever 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 ex- like expected something like this to happen and they kind of you go to the capital i mean you know and you go through security to go in and like they're surrounded by capital police and it's a whole thing and you you just never expect anything like that to happen and i think that for the folks that i spoke to and and for myself as well you know, it, it's one of those things that once a place like that is violated in that way, a place that is like the safety of which you take for granted the safety of, um, it it makes you question the safety of all the places that you go around you. Right. Like even, I mean, everything, like, you know, it's it's your house, it's your car, it's riding your bike. It's like, you know, it's, it's walking down the street. Um, like all the times that you kind of, realize that you take for granted how safe you are um when something like that is violated it makes you question everything around you and so but but to your question the answer is yes the 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 photo essay was incredibly cathartic in that it was able it, it allowed me to also help process my own trauma through that and also understand and appreciate that others were feeling the same way that i was um Again, I was, you know, I mean, I, so you mentioned that I was in Haiti. I was there when when the earthquake happened in 2010. And that was a situation where I had experienced the trauma and I did not take the processing of that trauma seriously. And I recognize um, how much of a a mistake that was. And so going into this experience, I, I was, I kind of went through it with eyes wide open, realizing that it's important to understand, to admit like how hard it is to process and, and to, and to do the work to make sure you do it. And so I think that 
part of the reason why and this piece was important was to show people that people who experienced this were having a hard time processing it. And so I had, I mean, a lot of people come up afterwards being like, thank you for doing that piece because it made me feel a little bit better about like having a hard time um, going through this and, and figuring out how to wade through, you know, the experiences and the the memories of that day and coming through the building. Cause I mean, as you know, like everybody had yeah. to just show up to work the next day and at the same building that this all happened. And it was just, and so it was, it was hard. And so, um, so yeah, I mean, it, it, but it was a really, really wonderful. It, and again, that's why it was so important to get it right because it was such an important story because you have these people who are trusting you with their story, but at the same time, you know, you want to get it right because if you don't get it right, like it, it, it's, this is in a way a service journalism for America so that they understand the effects of this attack on the people who right. are in the but it's also a service to the people who experienced it so that they're able to recognize that this was a hard thing for others to um, to process as well. Right. And that I have a bunch of questions around this. So, <laughs> and, but to that particular point, this was this like the first piece that you did, you know, dedicated going with four by five where it wasn't, you know, like, like news coverage, shooting a, a hearing or whatnot doesn't necessarily has, have that point to it, right? You're shooting a breaking of your breaking a breaking event, just something everybody's, but it doesn't really have that personal, super deeply personal connection or like mission to the work, right? Like this is a mission-driven piece. Is this the first like real, genuine, full bore mission-driven piece that you've that you've done on Capitol Hill? Yeah, it was and it was the the first time that, you know, I talked to photo editors and they're like, okay, like this is what you know we think we're gonna do. And this is what we need to deliver. There, there was, I mean, and there was not like a ton of pressure because I think that like if everything had fallen apart, it it wouldn't have been, you know, the end of the world. But, you know, there was an expectation that I needed right. to deliver on this. Typically, there's not an expectation to deliver on the photography that, that yeah. I do. On. Um, I do a lot of it, it uh, while I'm doing my, uh, my, my job as a reporter and producer, which is, you know, asking questions or making sure that our cameras are our video cameras are where they need to be. Right. Um, we can cover events. A lot, you know, a lot of the photography that I do is, is in the periphery, um, not for coverage purposes, right. but in this situation, it was, it was commissioned, you know, it was like a, it was like, okay, I, you know, like we're going to do this, um, which, but also like that gave me the ability to go to some of these offices and be like, Hey, we're doing this. Um, and so, um, we're going to do this piece. So it has a place to, to live. Right. I'm not doing this for fun or just doing it for Instagram. Um, this is going to live on our website. It'll live on television. So um, we'd really like you to participate. And so, and, and I mean, the, I think that it helped also that we did it so early because I think that, you know, first off it kind of like nobody else had done anything like that yet. So mm -hmm. it was easier to get people to, to agree to it. And secondarily, you know, those memories were fresh for a lot of folks um, during that time. I mean, some of the interviews that I did were emotional. Like, you know, I mean, I, Congressman Crow or Raskin um, had tears in his eyes during the interview. And I mean, because it was still really fresh. Right. And, um, and the longer that it goes, like the, the more time that passes, you know, it, the more it, it, it's, it feels like it's a distant memory. And the more that, you know, you hear people who say, oh, it wasn't really that bad. Um, 
which is why it was important to get these stories out then so that you can always look back at that and realize how bad it was. And, and I think that in, and to both of your points, like everybody kind of looks at that experience and that, in that event, and it was so bad, it could have been so much worse. And, and I think that that's like the very hard thing for folks to kind of wrap their heads around is that, I mean, while the vast majority of people got out without being harmed, um, you know, I mean, it, it's still really hard to kind of think about how bad it could have been. And, um, and so, which is why, again, I think it was important to get that piece out early and not have it be like a year in you know, a year anniversary, like doing it yeah. was, was, I think a smart way to do it. Well, and you know, when you say how bad it could have been, it also highlights how bad it could be. Right. Because you know, as you said, like once once a place like that is 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 violated or attacked, every not everything else, you realize how unsafe everything else is, but you also realize how unsafe that place that was so safe was perceived to be, and how unsafe. I'm sure they've they beefed up security like crazy, but also how unsafe it kind of it actually kind of is in practice. You know, um, which brings me to the question of in terms of reaction to the piece, but also. Um, like in your experience as a journalist, not just a photojournalist, but a journalist of, with over a decade in the trenches now, um, you know, sort of the increasing toxicity of the American political situation. Um, have you had folks like not react in a positive way to this piece to be like, ah, psh, you know, whatever, um, or just in general, how has that impacted your job and the things you see and, and how folks react to you? Like, oh, you know, fake news, false media, like all that sort of brouhaha, like what's it been like? to be in the trenches covering that sort of thing in an increasingly toxic political, like, or just society in general has been yeah. more toxic. I mean, it's, it's interesting because I think that I've kind of, in, I've kind of experienced the whole spectrum of that because I came in right around when the tea party movement was happening on, on the Hill and that stuff felt crazy at the time. Um, you know, government shutdowns, fiscal cliffs, things that were like, oh my God, this is, you know, so crazy. And we're covering, you know, unprecedented times. And then, you know, the, I mean, the Trump era really shifted everything in a really dramatic way, not only in the way that we covered things, but just you're, you're right in the sentiments towards journalists having covered the campaign. I mean, people would come up, I had a guy come up to me one time and just say, you know, if there were no consequences, I would just beat the living hell out of you right now. Um, <laughs> And it, I mean, it's like a guy that's my age. It was like, it was like, where is this? This sentiment just never existed before. You know, there was an appreciation for the press. Um, and I listen. I understand that, like, you know, sometimes people don't like what we write. But I mean, the, this sentiment really grew to a such an intense level that um, that it has been. You know, it's been a, it's been you had to adjust, you know what I mean? And, and recognize that this is something that we had to navigate. Um, I, I would say, you know, covering politics is, is, is a interesting, it's, I mean, it's a great beat to cover. I mean, I think that recently it's become a, a beat that's, you know, people have to kind of like really question about whether or not it's something you want to do for your whole life or whether or not you want to make it like a, like a chapter. Um, and I think that, you know, the, the, the reaction to the piece has been overwhelmingly positive, but there's definitely been a lot of people, particularly 
conservatives, people who support, you know, Donald Trump or, you know, question the severity of January 6th, who have criticized it and journalists who were there on January 6th for making too big of a deal of that um, experience. And um, the thing is, is that, you know, I've never, ever, ever um, compared what happened that day to people who have experienced war or people who have covered wars or people like soldiers who have been to war, um, you know, seeing people, you know, die in the trenches. That's a totally different experience. There is a spectrum of trauma. And I think that, you know, while mental health and mental, um, the idea of like admitting that you need help in those situations is, is definitely been more accepted um, in society, it's very clear that, you know, there's still a lot of work to do to accept that, you know, it, it doesn't, you don't need to be um, in the, in the literal trenches of a war to feel like you need some help processing experiences. And, um, and I mean, while I didn't get attacked on the Hill that day, um, I was encountered by one person who was trying to figure out who I worked for. Um, and, but I mean, I had a friend who was assaulted and like, again, it's just one of those situations where you wonder how, if things would have been just a little bit different, how they could have gotten worse. You're, as you noted, like there, there could have been armed people, um, or there were armed people in the Capitol. And if things had escalated in a way, um, who knows how it would have gone. Um, the building could have literally burned down. I mean, yeah, there, it, it could have been. It, it, it's funny because I think that, you know, a lot of people, when they, they look at that, the, the insurrection, they, at least initially they were questioning why weren't the police doing more, you know, like why mm-hmm. weren't they, I mean, they, they did a lot. And obviously some police officers lost their lives in, in the process and, but, and they fought really hard, but in the building, you know, itself, like why weren't they arresting folks, you know, throughout the entire process? I mean, I encountered, officers who were just walking with um, rioters as they walked through the building. And it was just like kind of gobsmacked by the whole thing. But you, and then you recognize that like that restraint was almost strategic in a way, because if things could have just escalated really, really intensely. Um, So anyway, I mean, yeah, so I've encountered pushback on that, but also it's like, again, I think what, as somebody who had covered the 2016 campaign, I think that what happened in the building on January 6th, in the Capitol almost felt like a, like a sad yet logical conclusion to the whole thing. Cause we had yep. encountered so much hatred and frustration during, during the actual campaign that, it, you know, we, it was like, we were prepared for something like that mentally, um, obviously not prepared for it, but like, it, it didn't seem, it was surprising yet not super surprising. Right. Right. And then going forward, you know, you're in, you're in, uh, it's an overused phrase, but in the halls of power, right. Um, where, and I'm not going to ask, you know, about any specific professional members, but you know, there is a sec, there is a, a, a little, a part of, of the folks who work in Congress who are pushing that it's not a big deal narrative or who are pushing for either because they believe in it or because of, for, for political purposes, like, more of that polarization, right? Because it helps consolidate base and it helps make sure that those two sides and both sides do a certain amount of it will vote for you no matter what. Um, so do you, 
like, man, mentally it's going to be, I don't think I'd be able to handle it. I'd be like, I would lose my shit working at Capitol Hill in that environment. But do you think there's a way back? Do you think like working amongst these folks that there's a, a way where these two sides that are really pushing very dissimilar narratives, you know, to consolidate their, their, their voting base can de-escalate this. Cause it's just not healthy. I don't think anyone could look at this and say, this is a good thing, like cognitively. Um, but do, do you think there's any way that we can walk back from this Frank, and like detoxify, you know, you know, deep, de- I call it bipolar, like America's getting bipolar right in a way like but we can like bring this back from the brink you know um i think a lot of the i mean for for a lot of it you know the toothpaste is out of the tube and <laughs> it's not really possible to get it back right but i think that um for you know i mean i think the polarization is probably here to stay for yeah i mean i think it's here and, and it is what it is i think there's a lot of different reasons for it but um, I mean, hopefully, you know, it, it's interesting. I think that January 6th, I think a lot of people thought that that was going to be the event that kind of like realized, made everybody realize like, oh, wow, like that was, you know, we can't go down this road. You know, this mm-hmm. is not that we can get this and this, and this was the conclusion of, you know, this polarization resulted in something this intense and this, um, this bad. And, um, I think that, you know, we'll but I mean, it, it, it's very clear that, you know, a lot of folks have moved on and like I said, think that it wasn't that big of a deal. So it, we'll see. I mean, hopefully yeah. we'll get, I think, I, I mean, I think there's hopes, but like, I don't see that coming in the near future. And then have you found like after this intensity and whatnot in this like intense, like project catharsis, cathartic project, have you started looking around for something that's a little like the opposite? Like I want to do a project that isn't this like intense cathartic thing. I want to do something that's perhaps a little like light. Now, lighter is not necessarily the best term, but you know what I mean? Like that's just something that I can just photograph and enjoy without like a heavy weight on it. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, for sure. And I, I mean, so I'm, I'm trying to figure out like how I can, like I said, like kind of incorporate this in, into other stories that I want to cover and particularly things that are outside of politics. Right. Um, I mean, we've done a couple of stories on like, you know, chemicals that are like in the groundwater and stuff like that, where I've been able to shoot. It wasn't um, film or anything like that, but again, like trying to work with our photo department on, on doing kind of stories like this, it's, you know, it's tough because I think that our news organization in particular is very um, like breaking news, you know, coverage as we go kind of thing. So it's projects with this kind of, um, like looking this far into the future are are harder to come by, but mm-hmm. uh, but that's definitely something that I'm trying to work on. Um, I also, you know, in terms of like projects to to cover with my camera that are not politics. I have a two year old daughter that I do a lot of pictures of. Dude, so. There's so much fun, kids is so much fun to photograph, especially before they get the ability to be like, Dad, get that camera out of my face, like my 15 year old son does. Oh, no. <laughs> I'm waiting for it. It's going to be a real bummer. <laughs> Have you um, had a chance to photograph Joe Biden or um, or, or the vice president at all? Um, yeah, well, so I've I took a I took a picture of um, Vice President Harris. Um, I mean, I covered her, you know, previously when she was a senator, and then mm. um, you know I've covered her 
in the Capitol, I took a shot of her walking through the rotunda on her way to the um, to not Supreme Court, um, to um, a joint address of Congress. That again was one of those like you know you have a vision for a shot and it kind of like completely turns out and it was like she's kind of backlit by the by the um, American the American flag and um, it turned out really well. I think it is like one of those things that I would like to shoot the white house in this way um but it, it takes a it does a, it's a different beat it's a different group of people and it's like a you know that would be me um i don't know it, it's like a different turf you know what i mean right. so like it would take a, a level of um approvals and getting into the white house and stuff mm-hmm. like that it's a tough thing to do um, well in a couple of years time you might have mr trump to um try and photograph again i mean that's he might be back yeah so i think um yeah, I mean, they, they come to the hill enough that I'm able to kind of like shoot them in that way. Um, we have to just be careful using these unfortunate terms that we use for photography. And when we're talking yeah. about riots on Capitol, you're talking about shooting Donald Trump. I mean, I've had people tell me, <laughs> like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go shoot this portrait. Or I'm going to go shoot this event. They're like, is that really the right term to use nowadays? I'm like, mm-hmm. you know, I keep trying to wean myself off of it. But, you yeah, know, I know I, we always use it. I went to school for photojournalism in the nineties and this yeah. was just not a thing to worry about. Shooting, like, shooting Donald Trump was fine. Man, yeah. Or, or, I'm, or I'm a shooter. I'm a freelance shooter. People are like, yeah. I was, yeah, I was um, taking, I was like standing in a hallway. um waiting. There was like this, you know, interesting slivers of light coming through a window one day and a Senator came through and I was like taking shots as they were passing right through these like slivers of, of light. He was, and he was like, shots fired, shots fired. And like, I had to like go over to his office or his, his communication staff later. And I was like, you should tell him not to say that. Like, it's not like as much as, you know, it's like a funny, you know, I mean, yeah. a lot of the words that we use in journalism kind of have weird connotations. Like when we have a story that doesn't end up getting aired, it gets killed. Like, yep. you killed, you're like, oh God, it's so. Yeah. Or buried. It's awful. You know. Uh, but, um, but yeah, it's. Yeah, I know it, it is. It is kind of funny. <laughs> so earlier on, um, you mentioned rabbit holes that you were either going down or wanting to go down when it comes to um, using film. Yeah. What do, would you'd like to expand on these particular rabbit holes? I'm always interested but, to talk about rabbit holes. Well, so I mean, you know, you guys know Jason Lane, mm-hmm. uh, and so he, uh, I mean, the the glass plate the dry plate thing has definitely been a rabbit hole that was that is fun to go down because yep. again talking about like increasing the um the degree of difficulty but <laughs> yeah. by, by a fair factor our <laughs> format is pretty high up there already doing it with glass plates is like you know even higher um and it was one of those things that I, I had never done trade developing either so it, even developing that kind of stuff was a um, a new and different, but, um, fun thing to do. Um, it's, I mean, that, that kind of stuff, I mean, even when it's like, it's not even, it doesn't have to be large format. Right. And I mean, like, I mean, we talk about the, um, disposable cameras, um, I mean, lamography, like, you know, making Mm -hmm. that that's like purple tinted, um, they make that metropolis stuff. That's, you know, a little like yellow tinted too. um, kind of like, seeing how to use those kind of different things to, um, I don't know, cover Congress in like a visually differentiating way. has been something that like, it's been really cool and, and, and 
in terms of like the the rabbit hole is just like trying new things and realizing there's other new different options out there. Um, I mean, you've just got the film. You've got the film bug, haven't you? That's really what it is. I mean, right, right. It's just the film <laughs> bug. But I mean, like it is. But it, it does feel like. I mean, there's you know, pinhole cameras. Like you know, I look at before that. I've been trying to figure out how I can go like incorporate that into coverage. Well, he runs he runs a lensless podcast as well. You want pin, you want to talk about pinholes? Well, yeah, my, so maybe we'll get you on that show as well. So my, <laughs> my, my, my other podcast hat is the lensless podcast, and that's been going a little while now. And yeah, I think we're up to maybe show 116 or something. I've so, figured out a way to do it, you know, using using a pinhole camera inside is kind of hard to do and i'm yeah. kind of making it look like it's just like a bunch of nothingness you know because you're mm-hmm. along. Um, well it can be i mean you've got it's, it's, of course it depends all about the light doesn't it and the speed of film you put in and you can go you can end up with anything from no people present at all which is kind of interesting and spooky at the same time to having ghosts or pretty solid people really you mm-hmm. know um so choose your spot carefully choose your film speed carefully all I would say is uh, we had on our last Lenses podcast, we had um, Sam Cornwall on, and Sam is the guy behind a product that was launched a few years ago called the Solar Can. So oh, solography, yeah. you know, you, you so you take a in its basic form, you take a something like a beer can, so you get to drink the beer, you put a hole in it, <laughs> and you put photographic paper inside, and you go and attach the beer can to a lamppost facing the sun for six months, and you end up with traces of the of the sun's arc across the sky burn it burning into the paper so it doesn't it's not exposing the paper it's actually physically burning into the paper and so when you take the paper out of the can after six months you get there's a there's a a, a kind of muddy image of of the light trails and and the and the immediate foreground or whatever else the beer can is picking up and you can invert it and um, scan it you know as many times as you want and eventually it'll fade but not too quickly and because the biggest problem is putting beer cans on lampposts in public spaces is <laughs> now, now they come with it said this is not a bomb you know because they get taken down so you can't leave things around the capitol building you need to seek just, let me just a word of advice don't just put a beer can tape it to a <laughs> post and leave it there or okay? a chair leg you know whatever <laughs> Yeah, that would that would probably not work. <laughs> that's the thing is that like particularly with you know that kind of stuff, I mean it has to stay still. I mean putting up tripods hmm. inside on the Capitol is you can only do that in certain places, and so you know you have to get kind of creative as like where you put it. Um, yeah, well, some of the best some of the best things you can do with a pinhole camera is not overthink it too much. You know, you can get. Uh, reality so subtle pinhole cameras i was just gonna say six by six film tiny little pocketable camera and you plonk it somewhere during a meeting i mean i you know when i was doing at a full-time day job i'd we'd we'd have business dinners in the evening you know like in germany or france and i'd i'd say to folks i'm just putting this up here you know and you put a camera behind you and i just forget about it i'd open the shutter up i had no idea on exposure and at the end of the evening you get a picture of the table and you can see people. There's a lot of ghosting around, but it's kind of fun, you know. And well, and and you just almost use it like a. You can almost use the pinhole camera like an iPhone, but obviously not really like an iPhone, you know, to just capture the in the capture the moment in the same way as you would with an iPhone, but just something a bit different. Put a fast film in. I was going to say use a well lit area. 
You definitely want to go with rally. So we definitely want to go with James pinholes because they're clean and beautiful, but that I'm glad you mentioned the six, six I have on. It's like the ultimate street photographer's pinhole camera. It is. Like yeah. it's Don't really, worry about really the tripods. Just, just plunk it wherever you can plunk it. It's an F one thirty seven. It's outdoor mm. even mm. like it's actually really, really fast. And I was like, man, what could you do with, with 3,200 ASA 35 like film, like taking, cause it's medium format, like yeah. take Delta 1600 and push it to 3,200. Oh, I'll, and put like, Del- I'll put the Delta 3200 in in a, in one of James's cameras, and I've shot that in broad sunlight. And of course, it's saying you need like an exposure of points point three of a second or something. Yeah, like which is really hard with a pinhole, by the way. You're like, eh, eh, <laughs> yeah. you know, um, that's that's very cool. It's almost like a photographic time lapse. Like, mm-hmm. like you know, well, that's the thing. You see, you so with pinhole, you're opening up a whole third dimension you know you're 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 not just capturing that little moment you're capturing whole chunks of time aren't you and that that makes you think in a in 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 a completely different way you know i think it's wonderful you should certainly pursue it and you'll you'll you know one of james's cameras like the reality so subtle six by six would be there you go that's the, that that's the little kitty so that just pops in your pocket hold it up again to right. the camera for the viewers <laughs> And this is the F, so it takes a filter on it. Yeah, that's and it's just, cool. it uses the radio dials on the top. It's beautifully wide. It's the best built. He makes the best, most professionally built pinholes anywhere. They're mm. fast to load. They're fast to shoot. They're pocketable. They're light. And he's a lovely, lovely guy. He's one of my favorite people, I think, in the in the small photography, his, um, photography world. He's actually made, you know, his latest venture is, well, he his latest venture, which is not going to be commercial, is he made a, a pinhole camera which takes like what size film is it, Eric? It's huge, you know, like oh. so, like ultra large format pinhole camera. We got sheet film and he and he stuck it all together with sellotape. Oh. And yeah, he made a, a I think it was a, a four four by ten panoramic <laughs> pinhole camera, and or is it no? It was like eight by sixteen or something. But he but it was took, on but with rolls. It wasn't just yeah, sheet film. He took X ray film. And taped it together in a giant roll and was just like cranking this hand cranking this giant roll of x-ray of sheet film taking these huge like eight by mm. 16 or whatever panoramics he made this like a ginormous camera it was it was bonkers silly um which but, one of the things i love what he is what he is working on now which is going to be commercial um so you're you're going down the film rabbit hole um frank have you got a roll of color film and wound it on to another reel backwards and shot through the the non-emulsion side so that's called red scale photography have you mm-hmm. have you tried that oh. so you can take a roll of color film or you can even buy it lamography sell red scale film basically it's film that normally when you put a roll of film in a camera the emulsion faces the lens doesn't it that's you know that's what happens so in in a darkened room or a bag you wind the film onto another roll but the other way around so when you shoot it in the camera You've got the um, anti anti halation layer, the backing of it, the shiny side facing the lens. So you're shooting through the back of the of the camera, and that can, depending on the speed that you rate the film at, it can either go very reddish or very orangey. And people have different uh, tastes on that. Well, James is making a pinhole camera called a red scale pinhole camera, and it's got pinholes on both sides. So on one roll of film, you can either red scale it or just do a normal shot. And, 
It's yeah. just it's just bonkers. Or both on the same frame. Or both, yeah, yeah. But or just yeah, I don't know yeah. how that works. But you, can, yeah, I don't either. Yeah. I, I kind of want to try it, right? I'm <laughs> for the for the for the for the, <laughs> for the listeners. Frank is looking up in the sky, like thinking about what would happen if you expose both sides. Like, yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, that's interesting. Wow, that's super cool. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I. It, but you're right. So I mean, I guess the bottom line is that yes, I think I probably have just gotten you know the film, the film bug. I mean, like I do think that. I mean, like even you know wet plate stuff, which is you know would be super interesting. Well, that would be now. So, w- would you be able to get your wet plate darkroom through the security? You know, yeah, all those bottles of chemicals. <laughs> part of the reason. I mean, there's two reasons why I haven't really gone down that road. First off, the infrastructure that it requires to like have all those chemicals, and I have a two-year-old. Mm-hmm. God forbid she like you know, like ran into that stuff. Um, mm-hmm. But secondarily, like the you're, you're right, like the practical usage for that would be really almost impossible to do on the hill it would i don't know if they would ever let me you'd you'd have to be outside i think you know you'd have to set it up outside and have the folks come to you or you have nuclear powered strobes don't you You know i mean (laughs) (laughs) yeah the really really big heads that that feels like you've been hit by like a solar flare when they go off well, that's and that's the other thing is that like i mean as i said you know for the photo i say all those portraits were taken with natural light yep I, I can, you know, I don't have that kind of equipment to be able to. Uh, what you know, camera? What camera do you have that Erectar mounted on? The speed graphic. On the speed graphic, there are. Then I, I'm sorry, I side, I side Googled while we're talking. Um, it's a seven inch Erectar, right? Mm-hmm. That works out to 177.8 mil, millimeters, and um, Graflex Parts has 177.8 millimeter um, rangefinder cams. So when you said that you have to use the ground glass for it, no, you don't. If you want to, you can get a get a cam, a rangefinder cam just for that lens, pop it in there, and your rangefinder is going to work for that lens. You just have to open it up and swap cams. So if you want to not use the ground glass, like it's definitely a, and those cams are only 20 bucks. Yeah. He's so great. yeah. It, yeah. Yeah. It, he actually he um did the CLA for the the speed graphic that okay. the um the erector on it yeah okay yeah so i was gonna say because you could totally not ground glass it if you didn't want to yeah i probably should i mean it's also a lot heavier i mean like that that lens is super heavy oh dude so again like but do, do you think how do you think the dynamics of those photo, photo sessions you know your after the riot sessions how would it have changed or how would it have been different if you were range hand holding rangefinder as opposed to a lot of them where you had it on tripods you know how would that would you think it, the project would have worked out differently um i think that you know the, that's an interesting question i i think that part of the the purpose of that um project was to kind of sit down and take a beat and mm-hmm. have it, you know like people think about the moment a little bit yeah uh, so you know, if, if I was handheld or if it was even like digital or, you know, Hasselblad handheld or something like that, it would have given it a little bit more of a frenetic um, feel to it. Like, I, I liked the idea that, you know, we were taking a moment, taking a beat, you know, it's on a tripod, mm-hmm. explaining the camera to folks, um, you know, for some people who understood what the camera was, but others were like, that's, I've never seen anything like that before. Um and so I think, you know, having an idea and having it on a tripod was a very, it was an effective way to kind of like 
have them kind of sit down and think, okay, like I'm taking a picture. Right. A lot of the times these pictures were taken in places that, that had a significance to the person from that day. Um, okay. So, uh, so for instance, like the cafeteria worker was standing in the hallway um, just outside of the um, room that he had locked himself in when wow. it happened. Um, Speaker Pelosi was in our office, which was ransacked. Um, Jamie Raskin was sitting in the office just off the house floor that his daughter and um, son-in-law were hiding in as, you know, the rioters were banging on the door trying to get in. So like trying to kind of like live in the moment, like, I, it, it, you know, when you're moving around and taking pictures and things like that, it's easy for the, the person taking in the picture, taking who, who you're taking the picture of to kind of like think about what's happening around them. Right. And um, when they're able to kind of just stand there and think about the moment, I think a lot of the, a lot of the emotion that came out in those portraits was a result of the fact that like they were standing there thinking about what they were doing. Right. I hadn't appreciated right. that. Okay. That adds another yeah. layer to it. So that, I suppose really then uh, just one more question on this sort of project. Um, thinking of all the elements that went into it, you know, the, the close proximity to the event, having the portraits made in the environment work, which meant so much to these people, the, the closeness to the event and all the trauma does that mean that you won't be able to follow up and do more of this you know would would it lose something is that something you've considered you know can we revisit the project would it lose some of its meaning would you have to do it differently have you even considered it i have um i and it's a very good question because especially particularly initially right after it was published there was a lot of folks that were like you're going to keep doing this right like Mm. um and i i kind of had to make this i mean i i actually like went back and forth people are like you should make a book of this like to do this as like kind of a like a, a almost like a historical record almost um but um i mean i i kind of made the decision to kind of let it live as what it is, uh, let let the project live as the piece that it was published as. Um, I think that there is a way to follow up. I mean, I don't know if it's, you know, I mean, the year anniversary is passed, so I don't know if it's like a checking with people, you know, years from now to try to figure out like how they are feeling about that day. Um, I thought about trying to incorporate or trying to do this with other folks as well. Um, you know other folks who were there but but again like one of the things that i was really proud of and one of the things that we touched upon is like it did kind of incorporate enough people from the spectrum of folks who were in the building like the cafeteria worker and the aides and you know i mean the police officers that i feel like it did i mean there's no way that you ever comprehensively cover a story I and mean, you can't talk right. to everyone but i feel like it did a good job of comprehensively telling that story and so um I think I think about it a lot about like how you can how I can kind of like extend um, the life of this sentiment, but I also think that it, it kind of did a good job in that moment of telling the story that it needed. Right. I think so. I mean, it occurred to me uh, when you were talking when you were, when we were talking about mental health and the I mean the whole things have been about mental health really, but is this something that you could work with a mental health charity on and say, well, actually these and tell basically talk about what you've been talking to us about, but to people who are affected, 
with mental health issues and i mean youngsters it's a huge issue isn't it with young people for all sorts of different reasons is have you thought about that of using these images in some way yeah i mean yes i mean and and the thing is is that i've i've been trying to advocate i would i mean no joke i would give anybody um after after it happens especially in like the couple of weeks right after it happened while people were really having a hard time processing it and there was still you know trash in the building and they're still cleaning it up mm. um, i would give everybody that i would talk to it, whether it was a lawmaker or whether it was an aide or whether it was a cafeteria worker or whatever like an elevator pitch as to why you know the importance of talking to somebody and and trying to process it um if this could be used in any way to to try to advocate to to let people accept that you know experiencing things like these um can be hard to do like i i would 1000 try to use that um, i don't know if that means it's like turned into some kind of workbook or if it's just kind of incorporated as just like a into you know the piece is just included into like the um you know into like the you know the work of a, of a class or something like that mm -hmm. um i mean that, that would be amazing i think that but like I said, as the time goes by, I think it's harder to to have these conversations with folks because I think that as the time goes by, it's it's people don't talk about or think about it as much as they used yeah. to, or it's viewed through a different lens, like not no longer the lens of immediacy, but the lens of of politics, yeah. and like and, and its reflection on society. I was gonna say for like a follow up would be interesting, maybe, um, and this is driven mostly like thinking about what projects might be relevant to this. Um, Eugene Richards, um, I don't know if you know his work or not. Um, he did this really incredible book and series called War is Personal, where he just spent time photographing veterans who'd come back from the Gulf and Iraq war and whatnot. And they're, and he's, Gene's work is very intimate to say the least. Um, and it makes me, made me think of like, well, like the officers on the Hill during that time, there were, there weren't just like a dozen, there were hundreds of them doing things they'd never probably thought they'd ever do signed or ever signed up for or anything like that some of them with long-term um physical you know uh injuries and and probably a lot of mental health and the police are you typically seen as like you know we're the tough people we don't we don't need any of that stuff and it was interesting for me to see like the the capital police union come out and be like yeah this is fucked up yeah. Uh, you know, which typically they don't, they don't weigh into politics. They don't weigh, uh, especially like conservative versus liberal. Um, so that could be a really interesting approach because the police union might be open to like having some of their members who are going through a lot of shit because they want their officers humanized. Right. Um, it, and that, that could be an interesting like series of portraits um, or even just like taking it, taking um, your digitals and spending time with officers on and off duty. And like seeing what this is like and just how their lives have been affected by this. Yeah, totally. I mean, the the New York Times, I think the, the, in their magazine, they did a, a piece that featured like two or three officers that had were like going through rehab and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. I mean, genuinely, the, the hardest part about it is just getting people to to want to talk to you. About yeah. It. Yeah. Generally, people don't want to talk about this kind of stuff. It's hard mm -hmm. to talk about police officers in particular. Oh in in that kind of traditionally macho environment it's been a thing hasn't it you know i mean my fa my father who my late father who's you know i mean if he was alive he'd have been about 100 now i think 
he um he spent three or four years at the hands of the Japanese in Changi jail, you know, in World War Two, And he never spoke a word about it. I mean, he kept all that stuff bottled in. I'm sure it came out in different ways, but, you know, there's, a, there's been a whole history of machismo, isn't there, around feelings and, and particularly with men. Yeah. And I mean, and, and so I think that, I mean, that was one of the reasons why, again, this, the, the photo essay was kind of a culmination of, I mean, no joke, like a decade of relationships. Um, and it was like a, I mean, I knew the cafeteria worker just from talking to him. I mean, like yeah. every day he makes coffee for, you know, lawmakers and aides, you know, and, and you see on his name at the end, like, you know, and you're just like saying, hi, the reason why people agree to do these things is whether, you know, usually because they want to talk, but also because mm-hmm. they trust you and, um, and, and, you know, establishing that trust is, it's hard to do. I, I mean, and that goes to the whole like polarization situation is that like, I mean, the, the demonization of the press and, and really selling somebody on the idea that you're going to take their story and do it justice and not um, misconstrue it in any way is, has always been something that journalists have had to deal with, but it has, it's, it's that way and it's exacerbated now. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, convincing somebody that, Hey, like I'm going to do this and I'm going to do it right. And I'm, and, and I think that one of the reasons why I think this photo essay was so great is that if you you saw the video, it just lets the words speak for themselves. Right. Um, and that's actually one of the things that I really appreciated about what our, the, our treatment of this this piece was, is that, you know, it, it doesn't portray it in, in there, there's no, I mean, and that there's, a, there's a time and a place for analysis. And I think that this piece, you know, the reason why it was so powerful was that it just let the words speak for themselves and the people speak for themselves as, as what their experiences were and how they were processing it. Well, I think that's a, a fine time to um, bring this element of the podcast to a close, Frank. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, wow, you know, it's been, uh, it's been awesome. Thank you so much for uh, coming on, agreeing to talk to us and yeah. share, share a little bit more about this uh you know this time that we all watched on tv and and it was almost like watching a video game you know that's what it felt like or you think well this mm-hmm. can't be real you know and yet people's lives were were touched and transformed and you were right at the heart of it and i think what you've yeah. done is uh you know is raise the day in people's consciousness uh, you know the, the effects of it and the mental health issues so um, well done yeah well done to you and I'd just like to ask is I guess like my closing question is like, well, what does the future hold for you in terms of mm-hmm. your photography? Like, what do you, where do you want to go with this? Either like if a project you have in mind or just like, like, what do you, what do you want to do next? Right. Because you started in 2018, you're relatively new to this per se. Um, and you're re you've hit it, you've hit it running um, and gotten like gone remarkable places in a very short period of time, uh, which is awesome. So like, what's, what's the future hold or what do you hope the future holds for you? Yeah, I mean, I think that, I mean, like I said, I'm I'm hoping that there's going to be more projects like this in the future. And you know, it's it's basically the the, the focus is is carving out time to do it. Um, you know, NBC gave me the the time and the space to work on this project. And like I said, it took you know a month and a half or two months to do. Um, and so it's, I think it's it's either in, incorporating into the politics. I mean, like you know, using that portraiture to, it can either be a project or for, you know, just a, an article on a person, like a profile. Um, 
And then also just trying to figure out how I can incorporate it into future stuff. I mean, if it's, you know, I've encountered a lot of people along the way that have um, given me like historical context as like into my work and mm-hmm. back in the sixties um, during the conventions, NBC hired a photographer to basically like shoot the conventions, have this like behind the scenes look. They, they, um, they uh, developed and processed and uh, printed out pictures every day so that they could run them um, for, you know, like the, they're like nightly broadcasts for the conventions. And so just trying to like think of ways that I can kind of try to incorporate this into the stuff that I'm doing already, but also trying to pitch longer, longer term projects. I mean, there's, I, I'd, I'd love to cover things that are not politics too, because while politics is interesting and stuff like that, it's also, you know. Yeah. brilliant well we look forward to whatever it is you turn your hands to because i'm sure it'll be brilliant yeah um got a few formalities to to go through we have a coffee account simon's (laughs) particularly keen for us to uh, push the coffee donation so he doesn't have to keep paying for the hosting of the podcast (laughs) (laughs) and i did actually uh, we we historically people have trouble finding it but I, i found it easily if you go to uh, kof ko hyphen fi co kofi coffee.com forward slash large format photography podcast you can uh, you can buy us a cup of coffee you can buy us and, a cup uh, you can buy us a cup and keep uh, keep simon happy um oh, i didn't uh, i didn't prime you guys about this one but uh, very Oof. often we we do shout outs so something you want to some eric normally shouts out to his wife and my long suffering uh, wife long suffering wife so eric any uh, any shout outs for you always as always heather my long suffering wife for putting up with my crap um but also lately i've been really blessed to have gotten like more work published and actually you know start getting paid for work which is crazy so um just a, a shout out to the to Josh Weissman, the editor at the Radivist, who's backed my work, and um, to the publisher and editor of the Mountain Flyer, who's about to do a feature of my work in their first ever photo annual, which is crazy still for me to, to contemplate. But just also in general, the cycling community who've allowed me to not just take superficial photos, but to actually interview them on really difficult questions um, and all the changes that are coming to that to that world that really reflect the societal changes we're seeing as a whole. So well, I, I, th- I think there's not to draw too many parallels, but the <laughs> fact that you're kind of immersed in that world of cycling, maybe opens some doors and makes that photography easier in the same way that Frank is involved in the, yeah. in the world of politics. Yeah, for sure. So that whole crew. And then also to my co-host Simon, who is not here looking in his usual noir self and Andrew for um, just having me on and the community in general. And then of course, Frank, who is at my bottom of my Zoom um, for taking a random Instagram message from me and being like, "Yeah, that sounds great." So yeah, thanks for coming absolutely. on for real, Fr- Frank. Any um, anyone you'd like to give a mention or a, a shout out to? I mean, my partner who's upstairs. She's upstairs with our daughter, allowing me to take the time to talk to you, <laughs> allowing me to build the dark room in the unfinished part of the basement over there. Nice. Oh yeah, I didn't get to talk about dark rooms. We'll have to do that another time. so i mean i guess the biggest shout out would be for her and i mean Mm. honestly and and i would say probably just like all the colleagues all my colleagues all my coworkers who who deal with me lugging these big cameras around and are very gracious in their 
their support yes. and, or at least uh, difference. Other other film photographers come out of the closet since you've been walking around and people said, "Hey, actually, I've got a Pentax." <laughs> oh yeah, I mean definitely, and I, like it's either like either photography, like the photojournalists who are like pulling out film cameras who are you know who had them before and like this is a, you know like this is a great idea, maybe pull us out or um, even just you know age and stuff like that. It, I mean, this is honestly like talking to you guys, and it's just another you know example of the community. It's just been such a a really supportive and amazing um like support system throughout this whole thing i mean like all the four journalists that have encouraged me along the way it's also you know it's people like you guys who who do these kind of podcasts who like encourage people who are going through you know this addiction and uh, <laughs> and don't let you know <laughs> which we don't try to actually like wean them off the addiction we're like no no keep getting addicted go deeper into the rabbit hole we're like dealers so, come on come on get in there in the world then <laughs> so i think that i'm just going to go with this one and um and so i i mean i honestly i appreciate you guys like and and, and folks like you who who want to talk about this stuff because it makes you know it gets me inspired and it gives me ideas and and so um, Excellent. Well, there's loads of. I'll I'll give a shout out to you know some some of my favourite podcasts. Uh, I uh, um, long-standing um, FPP film photography podcast, which is the first podcast that I ever listened to. So, the granddaddy. Uh, yeah, the granddaddy of podcasts. And uh, and then I listened to your interview with the was it the Grainy Days guys? Was it yeah. Grainy Days? It was Grainy Days. Is it me? Yeah, you, Frank. Yeah, yeah. you. That was, I think, like the first thing. That was like the first interview that I'd ever done about. Film. It was, yeah, yep. Yeah. Early, that was early on. Yes, so it was. Can, um, yeah, I listened to that while I was in the dark room last year, sometime. I think it was. I don't know. It was a while ago that you did it, wasn't it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was. Um, yeah. Was that before? Was that before the riots or after the riot? I think it was before because I think it, it was, was before. I think it was before because it was after. I mean, like I. You know, we had published a bunch of the stuff from the impeachment, like the earlier impeachment stuff. Mm, yeah. Things, um, people interested. But yeah, so that was earlier on. Okay. Yeah, well, so I'd point folks over to Grainy Day's podcast to hear an earlier version of Frank. Eric, if someone wants to send us an email, where do they send it to? Oh, you're a jerk. You send it to Large Photography. No, no, no. no damn it. You put me on the spot, sir. Large format photography podcast at gmail.com. Yeah, that's right. I always yeah. want to append the to the beginning. I and I always, yeah. you got me. I usually put pressure on the person saying the name for them to f up, but you got me on the email. You, sir. Although I'm still going to chortle over how you say urinal. Oh. Sorry. Urinal. <laughs> it's a bit You're like, right. is, it, is it Uranus or Uranus? <laughs> <laughs> We're not going there, sir. <laughs> okay. So, Frank, where do if people want to um, uh, see more of your work and follow you on the social medias, where do we go? Uh, where does uh, where, where does one go to? So, where do we go? Where do we look? Uh, Frank Thorpe V. The V is for the fifth. Uh, is that because there's just you tried having Frank Thorpe, but you were beaten to it? Somebody beat me to it. Yeah. My Twitter is at Frank Thorpe and my, and I tried to get my Instagram to be the same, but somebody beat me to it. And somebody mm -hmm. who like even posts, uh, I, I wanted to like ask him one day, be like, Hey, yeah, can you trade me? Mm -hmm. But um, it's fine. I mean, um, so it's Frank Thorpe B. 
And um, I have a website that will probably come up eventually, but I'm not going to tell you what that is because it doesn't exist right now. So I own the URL, but it's not going to, won't bring you to anything yet. So. And the Instagrams? The Instagram is Frank Thorpe D. Okay, there we go. And you're, I think you're our first guest to have a blue tick against his Twitter name, I think. Oh, yeah, hi. yeah, yeah. So we're very honored to have a blue, official. Tick, a, a blue tick Twitterer. Huh. Um, Eric, <laughs> where does uh, where can people find you? Uh, I do have a website so dis- if they're so disposed. Yeah, if they're if they're desperate enough to like, if they really just want to like see photos of bunnies and handmade camera lenses and occasionally uh, photographs. Um, Instagram is pretty much the place. E r i k h m a t h y. I have a website, but who the hell maintains a website nowadays? Like, well, no, you're doing, doing some you're doing some great stuff with uh, your bicycle pictures, you know, with weird lenses mm-hmm. and stuff. Yeah, and most of the you've been sharing those widely, haven't you, in various places? Yeah, those are mostly on the Radivist, T H E R A D A V I S T dot com. If people didn't want to search there, you'll they'll find my work there. Frank, you were about to say something. <laughs> well, on the website thing, I mean, like, I, I thought that too. I was like, why would anybody, like, maintain a website? It seems like a lot of work. Um, but, I mean, you're mentioning that you're getting stuff published and stuff like that. A lot of people look at people look for people's websites. Yeah. Mm. It's, just a, it's just a pain to maintain, you know? You're like, you throw up an Instagram and there it is. It takes 30 seconds or whatever. But a website, like, oh. And I used to do websites for a living. You know, photography is sadly not my day job. So I'm sort of torched out on, yeah. on building and maintaining websites. It's like, eh. Eh. But you're right. I should. I should be more professional, and I should maintain my website. You should. And if anyone wants to fo- follow me, they can uh, follow me. Oh, I just had an Eminem song lipped into my head. Then um, <laughs> I want to hear you say it. Do it. No. Do the Eminem song. Oh, damn it. No, I can't. No, it probably involves swearing. I'm Warboy's Snapper in most places, or Andrew Bartram. And uh, yeah, so that's. Uh, that's How, do they, How do they spell Bartram? B-A-R-T-R-A-M. Thank you. Some people might not know. Okay. Well, I'm so famous, I'm sure you'll find me. <laughs> and the and the LFPP has a Facebook group, of course, our lovely Facebook group. So join that if you're not a member, even if you don't Please use come. Facebook. We're a friendly bunch. We have an Instagram account, which Simon is desperately trying to offload for um, for me to run. <laughs> um, we, we only ever share pictures of the logo with the host's photograph on. So uh, that's good. Oh, and we so have yeah. a Flickr, a Flickr.com group, which I'm very remiss at uh, not uh, not going to very often. And finally, we have to thank Kevin McLeod, who allows us, I guess is the right word, to use the music, which is called, Eric, do you know? Can you remember what our music, theme music is called? I really can't actually. It's two called finger... two, two Finger Johnny. Yes. Is that because is, uh, the whole British like? Two I have no thing? idea. I have no idea. But I mean, I've always we, wondered we, that. We actually. never, we never dwell on the on the song, <laughs> and it, it's a it or the piece of music. But it's a most appropriate piece of music and well well beloved, and well loved by everyone who listens to the podcast. So Frank, it's been an absolute pleasure Dude. to have you on the show. It's Thank you. A, Thanks for having me. Honor and a pleasure. And it's wonderful that you've got a blue tick on Twitter as well. <laughs> so um, we'll, we'll have, a, have a wonderful rest of your day. And uh, yeah. we'll, uh, we'll see you folks out in podcast land probably in a month's time. Yep. We hope. We have a couple of great people lined up. We do. Uh, yes. We do. We do. We do. More of that <laughs> later. Yep. Okay, everybody. Bye. Take care.
。はい。